such an honor to be with you today. Today I'm here with probably one of the most important messages that the Lord would have me to deliver and I believe every word of God is important but this is one of those messages that in doing research for it um, it really the revelation that uh, it's wrapped up in it really helped to transform my life and I'm honored to share it with you today and the title of this of I'm sorry the title of this message is the seven abominations that's right you heard it right the title is the seven abominations I'm reading from the book of Proverbs chapter 6 verses 16 to 19 and it says this these six things does the Lord hate Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among right there. Amen. The reading of God's word is already blessed. Now, it's amazing. Uh, I'm a student of the word, so coming up, I've always, for some reason, um, looked at Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, and I saw it for some reason as God saying, well, these are six things that I hate. But now, this seventh one, which is sowing discord among the brethren, that's a little notch higher. That was the understanding that I had. But it wasn't until I was actually asked to minister on this particular topic, which is, we know it as the seven deadly sins, um, it wasn't until I was asked to minister on it that I did some research and I went before the Lord and this is what the Lord gave me. Uh, I got a new outlook as it relates to the scripture and if you would find out, you would find out just the way I did um, that an abomination is actually just another word for hate. So, in actuality, what what was being said here in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 is not that, hey, there are six things that the Lord hates, and then the seventh one is an abomination. It's, it's not another notch higher, but in actuality, these are seven things that the Lord hates, or these are seven abominations. Now, what we're going to do as we look at this passage is we're going to discover the spirit behind these actions. And I think it's important to note and to build a uh, I guess you can say a benchmark or something that we can go by. Let's look at the encounter or the rebuke rather at Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16. Now, if you remember now, before there was a rebuke, there was actually um some rejoicing and some praise pretty much because at Caesarea Philippi the question was asked by our Lord and Savior whom do men say that I the son of man am and they began to give their answers some said you're a liar or one of the prophets come back from the dead and then Jesus asked the question as it relates 
asked his disciples, he says, who do you say I, the son of man, am? And Peter was the one that spoke up. He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Our Lord says to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. But it's the Spirit of God. And in other words, this was a this was a revelation from on high. So right there, our Lord is saying to Peter, brother, you just got a revelation from on high. This isn't something that you came up with on your own or on a committee meeting. But this was something that God had deposited into your being. Now if there's one thing that I've learned about revelation is that revelation opens the door or God uses rather revelation as an, a doorway to take us deeper because to whom much is given much is required when God gives us a revelation he uses it as a launching pad to unleash his purpose and design And in that moment, our Lord began to do just that. He began to tell his disciples, look here, I came to die for for you. I came to die for the sins of man. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be condemned to death. Such is the case. And and you know, that was a revelation. (laughs) Uh, It was a painful one. And who says that revelations aren't painful? You know, no pain, no gain is the is the uh, the cliche or the wording we're used to. In order to get something, we've got to go through something. So the Lord is really letting them have it to let them know, help them to understand that I'm not here to establish any worldly kingdom as you suppose as my people suppose but I'm here to establish the kingdom of God on earth and this is what it's going to take now that was heavy and once again Peter speaks up but this time Peter is speaking up not as the voice of God or somebody with a revelation from God but now the devil has crept in And you may say, how was the devil crept in? Because now Peter is now speaking against our Lord's destiny and the perfect will of God. He says, the scripture says he grabs Jesus by the hand and he in turn begins to rebuke Jesus. I don't know if there's anywhere in scripture where we are told that somebody takes God by the hand and starts to rebuke him. But this is the one here. Peter begins to tell him, no, it's not going to be so. It's You're not going to. It's like Peter began to denounce everything that Jesus had already set out to do. And here comes the rebuke. Sorry, here comes the rebuke. Jesus says to him now, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things of God, but the things that be of men. So I want you to digest that for a moment. Just a few moments ago, Peter was hearing from God. And in that moment, after he receives a revelation, Jesus gives more revelation. And in that moment, it was a make or break situation. He became an agent of the enemy. And why is this important? It goes to show us that we are all susceptible because I don't believe any one of us had it as good as Peter. We get to have the Holy Ghost living inside of us and that's powerful on its own. But Peter got to have Jesus face to face. It's going to be a while before we get that. 
see you see you got to have Jesus face to face and not to mention don't forget that Jesus did also breathe on them and he did say receive you the Holy Ghost so they still have the Holy Ghost working with them but so so it's amazing that he had such an exposure but and you know his track record besides this um, rebuke and what he would eventually do before the cock crew it's amazing with all of that exposure he still <laughs> became an agent of the enemy so uh, so I, I guess uh, this is to say to somebody listening or watching don't be so hard on yourself because even after all of that, even after the rebuke and humiliation, God was still able to use this man of God mightily for his namesake. But the spirit, it, it's, 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 it's important for us to take note of the spirit. I and mean, we've got to be able to identify the spirit. Because what may have looked to others as Peter's great concern for the Lord's welfare actually was a manifestation of the enemy trying to block what God is getting ready. This kingdom thing that God was getting ready to do on the earth, the enemy was manifesting through Peter to try to stop that. So on one hand, God is sending revelation as it relates to how he's going to work and now the enemy would stop at nothing so I guess we've got to look at ourselves and we we don't need to be surprised at how the enemy would work because he used somebody that was a part of three and a half year ministry with Jesus somebody that Jesus was well acquainted with one of his own one of the inner three to oppose him so the devil will not stop at what he would use or who he would use to stop you from reaching your destiny, whatever that may be in God today. So once we have that understanding now, we can proceed because now we need to look at the spirits at work in Proverbs chapter 6 because I believe we need to recognize these spirits as we march forward so that we can address them accordingly. The first spirit that is highlighted, excuse me, is pride. Pride is the first spirit that is highlighted. There are many scholars that vary on the names of these spirits and how they operate, but I'm going to give it to you as I have received it. The first spirit that we're going to identify is the spirit of pride. And what is pride? Pride can be described, oh sorry, can be described as a proud look. Verses 16, oh sorry, chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and an arrogant, proud, lifted up spirit before a fall. I'm reading from the New Messianic Version in case you're wondering about my translation. It says, Pride goes before destruction and an arrogant, proud, lifted up spirit before a fall. Also, we have here Proverbs 18 and 12 which says, Before destruction, the heart of man is arrogant proud, lifted up, and before honor is humility. So we've got to, we've got to be aware of the spirit of pride and its antics and how it maneuvers. It's a, it's an arrogant spirit, one of the ways it is described. It's a spirit that's arrogant, a spirit that is haughty and we, we understand according to Proverbs 18 and 12 that it comes before 
sorry, before destruction. Because pride is that spirit. If we allow it to find root in our lives, it's a spirit that comes to bring our downfall. And and that's why I believe that we, we've got to understand it. And I believe we, we relate so much. And I believe it's important for us to look at, even as I go through these spirits one by one, it's important for us to take note of the ministry of our Lord to his disciples. You know, pride. Pride is a selfish spirit because it thinks of its own affairs. You have to understand the agenda of Israel. And although the apostles were now on, they were disciples at this point, they were now representatives of the kingdom of God, it shows us that they weren't truly divorced from their former assignment, which was they were expecting our Lord to come back and he was supposed to set up his kingdom on earth, you know, and eventually that will happen, you know, in the, in the millennium reign in particular. But they were, they were far ahead of themselves because there has to be a spiritual establishing of a kingdom first. That's God's priority because the foundation of all things is spirit. So the, the agenda that they were pushing was, hey, Jesus is here and he's going to set up this kingdom. And you can, you can verify all that I'm saying by history of Israel. You'll find out that they were expecting the Messiah to come back. And he was going to set up this earthly kingdom. And him doing that would overthrow the Romans. So it was no accident that they, rec- that they received Barabbas instead of Jesus. Because Barabbas represented the establishment of that earthly kingdom. I know that this is not in the notes, but I've got to go here. Barabbas represented the establishment of that earthly kingdom. He was one. Although he was a murderer, he was a murderer in the name of defending Israel. He was trying to defend Israel against the Romans. So, he rep- that was the that was his desire. Barabbas un- or his understanding was in order for us to have this overthrow the Romans, we've got to resist them. So in resisting them, he became a murderer and all of the all the other accounts that was levied against him. Jesus, our Lord, represents the establishment of that spiritual kingdom. So it was an easy thing for the priest and the people to say, crucify him because he's on another run. If I would use another terminology, he's on something else. We, He's talking about spiritual things. We want a physical reign. We want these Romans, they weren't saying that of course by their words, but their actions were saying, Barabbas represents the kingdom we want here on, on earth. Jesus is representing a kingdom that comes from heaven. So they didn't see a future with our Lord because they weren't tapped in spiritually. And Peter was the manifestation of that, of course, backed by Satan to withstand Jesus. And that's pride. Because pride is a selfish desire. Uh, agenda but what that devil doesn't tell us is that when we welcome this spirit is that we're counting down the days to our demise and and I hear I wish somebody would hear me today because we're not we're not uh, untouchable here we can become possessed by this spirit of pride and our agendas 
can take precedence over the will of God in our lives. And how do we check it out? We, we've got to ask ourselves, why am I doing the things that I do? Especially as it relates to the kingdom of God and the church of God. Is it really so that Jesus can be glorified? We've got to check ourselves. Because it may be that we're operating in the wrong spirit. But that but that's not the only spirit because you know spirits move in bunches. Another spirit that was at work in the midst of all of this is greed. And how do we identify greed? By a lying tongue. You know, growing up, and you've probably heard me mention this before, my mother often said this. Whenever we were being scolded or chastised, she always said, a liar will steal. Or let me say it the way, that, that's the way some of you others heard it, but let me say it the way she said it to us. A liar is a thief, and a thief is a murderer. And, you know, even as I've gotten older, I've, begi- I, I've learned to appreciate progression. And what I mean by progression is, for example, I wasn't born this size. It took a period of time, and I eventually progressed to where I am now. So what my mother is saying was that a liar will eventually become a thief and a thief will eventually become a a murderer or they have the potential because a murderer isn't just a murderer but nobody really wakes up and they're a murderer but over a period of time you will find out because spirits they like company They, they you know they understand the power and unity also you know, the spirits understand. So, a liar will gravitate, or he will entice the spirit of of the of the thief, and the thief will graduate. And it's not a ceremony we welcome, but he will graduate to a murderer, which is one of the most heinous things. But that's why we shouldn't despise these things because we understand that they can they can become monsters so greed is that lying tongue because why does somebody lie they lie because they want to gain something that doesn't belong to them you know this was something that really got my that got my attention why do people lie? Why do those of us that practice lying do it? We lie because we want to gain an advantage. Think about it. If it belongs to you, you can freely receive it. But a lie, it gives you access to something you wouldn't have prior to you twisting the truth or bending the truth. That's why lying is so dangerous. It gives you access that you don't truly deserve. That's greed. And greed is manifested in the lying tongue. Listen to Proverbs 12 and 19. It says, The lift of truth shall be established forever. But a lying tongue is but for a moment. And I want you to see how it is always to our downfall. It's not building us up. It says the lip of truth shall be established forever. The lips of truth. Those that speak truth, that walk in truth. Truth not just manifested by our lips, but the lips is the beginning. Shall be established forever. But a lying tongue but for a moment it may give you access that you didn't earn for a moment but it is it it has set the clock 
on your downfall. It may not be today, but it ain't long before you reap the benefits of your folly. Okay? Now, we're moving to the next one. We're moving a bit quickly. The next one that is highlighted, we're still talking about those seven deadly sins or the seven abominations. The next one is wrath. And what is wrath? Hands that shed innocent blood. That's wrath. Hands that shed innocent blood. And I want to give a a quick disclaimer here. There is a difference between our wrath and God's wrath. And, and, And you may ask, well, minister, what's the difference? Our wrath is based on our selfish ambitions. There's a difference between our wrath. When we execute wrath, we do it because we want to. And quite frankly, we understand that vengeance belongs to God and He will repay. So if we're operating according to kingdom principles, we leave the day of wrath up to our avenger, up to our Lord. And quite frankly, we find out that what God, or the way God would handle something is quite different from how we would because he's just. So we leave, we leave wrath. We leave it up to God. Now, listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 19. It says, Dearly beloved, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. And there's a colon there. And so, right now, after this colon, we're going to find out how do we give place unto wrath. Here's how we do it. It says, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So, We don't exercise wrath, but we give place unto wrath. Wrath is when we allow God. Wrath, in this case, is when we allow God to move. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody help me now. So, I know it's human nature to say, they got me, so let me get them. But what the Word of God is saying, if they got you, let me get them. Because, listen to me, man. And I know we have agendas and we have preferences. And truthfully, when someone or does something to us, there's a way we would like it to work out. But can I tell somebody that God has a better plan than you? Do you, for one moment, think that you have a better plan than God? Well, if that's so, then you should be God then. But you and I confess that he is God, that Jesus is God. So we then have to give place to him to do what he wants to do. Because what God does is well done. And here is the golden reason for that. James chapter 1 verse 20 says, For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God the Father. In other words, God has a plan And your wrath, your way of doing things, does not declare the righteousness of God. And the word of God, we believe, says that we are the righteousness of God. Amen. We believe that we are his righteousness. So, we cannot be his righteousness when we're executing our own vengeance, when we're doing things our own way. But when we give way for the the hand of God to move, then are we executing his righteousness. So I hope this hurt. I'm sorry. I hope hope this helps somebody today. I know what your human nature is saying. You just want to give payback where payback is due. But I'm here to tell you that God is the great rewarder. He is the great pay scale giver. So we've got to trust him. 
we've got to allow him to execute vengeance because vengeance belongs to him and I guarantee you it doesn't matter how long it takes Jesus is going to pay he is going to repay alright so the next one we're going to hop on to is lust and how was lust described even as we look at Proverbs 6 and even as we relate to the relationship between our Lord and his disciples. Lust and heart that devises wicked imaginations. Uh, uh, let's look at James chapter 4 verse 3. It says, You ask and you receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. So, so lust is that spirit that that really causes our agenda to manifest because in this case um, James is talking about prayer and prayer is one of the key and vital tools in a believer's life and it's amazing if we're not careful the devil can jack us up in our prayer lives if we are motivated by the spirit of lust and he says you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. How do we ask amiss? Or we ask out of the will of God. Here's how. It says that you may consume it upon your lust. In other words, the reason you're asking for it is so that it will appease some desire that you have. You have a desire to see a certain outcome you have no intention or you're not obeying or considering or acknowledging the will of God and said instead your selfish desires are overriding that so you know and that's amazing and 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 we can use all of that that I just used a few moments ago as an example you know it isn't the will of God for us to pray uh, for our enemy's downfall. It doesn't matter what your enemy has done to you. It's not the will of God for us to pray for their downfall. Rather, the scripture asks that we pray for those that uh, despitefully use us and persecute us. That's what Matthew 6 says. And it says the if your hunger, if this is what the scripture says, if your enemy hungers, feed him. Thereby you'll heap coals of fire upon their head. In other words, the word of God asks us to go against our desires. And when we do that, when we do, or when we operate against human nature, because human nature is not saying feed your enemy, and if you feed your enemy, human nature is saying poisonous, let's be real, uh, human nature is not saying um, pray that your enemy is blessed and highly favored or healed or delivered, human nature is saying pray that they fall into a ditch and quite uh, and things of that sort, but the will of God above all is asking that we pray thy kingdom come this is the pattern we've been taught in Matthew 6 thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven so this is the greatest thing that we can pray you may not be at the level to pray God bless them God cause them to prosper cause them to be saved and delivered but at the least, we should be able to pray God's will. And when we do that, we truly give way to the space of wrath and for God to move. And, and it proves that we're not praying according to our lust because we know our lust is not telling us to pray God's will for them, at the least. But listen to James chapter 1, verse 14. says, But every man is tried or tested when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And I love the way James puts it. 
You're not tried and tested by nobody else's lust. And the scripture says, every man, I don't care if it's your pastor, apostle, your bishop, whoever it is, every man and woman is tried or tested when they are drawn away of their own lust. There's something that gets us. There is, we've got some type of weakness that the enemy wants to use to expose us, to exploit us, and he uses that. And he tries to entice us to sin against God. So this is how he tries to draw us. And maybe it's different for, for all of us. But we've all got it. Okay? But the scripture tells us that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. The scripture also tells us that with every temptation, God has provided a way of escape. And I believe that that way of escape is prayer. Okay, but that's a whole nother thing. Alright, but we've got to resist the devil. Okay, so we're moving on to the next one. And the next one, we're still talking about the seven deadly sins. What you know is the seven deadly sins, or as the message is entitled, the seven abominations. The next one is sloth. And what is the sloth? It is described as feet that be swift and running to mischief. Excuse me. Oh yes. There are some that call it the slugger. The slugger is another term used. Uh, but I'll use the term here, sloth. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. The revelation that I um, captured concerning this to me is profound and I'm going to give it to you in a second let's just re- let's, let's, let's just sorry address a couple of scriptures first Proverbs 12 and 24 says the hand of the diligent shall bear rule but the slothful shall be under tribute uh, wow such profound words of God the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Listen to Proverbs 21 and 25. It says, The desire of the slothful kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. So the slothful is that, that sluggard. This is a, I guess you could call this spirit a spirit of laziness, a spirit of complacency. And I think what makes this spirit so dangerous is that it's a it's a kind of a busybody spirit, but it's not busy about the right thing. Well, let's bring it into terms. And I think we can relate to this easily by assessing ourselves. This, I believe, this spirit, or oh, sorry, this particular one calls for introspection you know we've got to ask ourselves what has God given me what has God truly blessed me with and am I using it so that his name is glorified so that the saints of God are edified because if not we may quite frankly fall in the category of the spirit the sloth, because it's that spirit that says you know, I'm not getting anybody way. You know, I'm just staying under the radar. You know, I'm fine with coming to church on Sunday and just sitting in my pew and then going home and repeating it over and over again. And I'm not saying that everybody's called to be a preacher or everybody's called to be an evangelist or something of that of that. Uh, that caliber but what I'm saying is we are all called to something and we can't come to the point where we are fine with just showing up but not showing out and by showing out I mean God has given each and every one of us gifts and talents some of us when we look at the story of the talents there are some of us with one there are some of us with many and 
The principle of that story, I believe, that we've got to understand is that when we use what we have, God causes it to, ma- to, to multiply, sorry, when we use what we've got. And there are some of us that are looking, you're probably looking at that one that God has given you and you're just saying, oh, I just got this one talent, you know, and this person, you're looking at what your neighbor has, and your neighbor, while you're looking at your neighbor, they're making use of all of the ability that God has given them. And you've got that one and you're just sitting on it. And God is not being glorified. And why is this important? It's because two things. One, which is on the lower part of the scale, you're robbing me as a consumer because God gave us gifts and talents to be a blessing to others. Two, on a higher scale, you are robbing God because he wants an, He wants a return on his investment. He put his, his gift in earthen vessels. The earthen vessels are you and I, and he wants these gifts to grow. But if you just sit there and make excuses, and you're the sluggard or the sloth, you will find yourself getting involved in things that have nothing to do um, with your gift or call. And to prove the point, we've all always heard growing up, was it? Uh, I think it's idle hands or the devil's playground or something like that. When you don't find yourself busy about the things of God, you will find out that gossip and contention and all of these isms and schisms that exist in the body, they're easier for you to get attracted to because naturally God has designed us to be bearers of fruit. And if you don't serve God, you're going to serve something. So right now, as we sit, there are many that haven't found their place in the kingdom of God. And as a result of that, they're not really interested either. But what they're finding themselves doing are things that are works of the flesh. The things that are already manifest, of course. They're not bothering to dig into the spiritual things and find out what God really has. Because treasure, good treasure is buried, ladies and gentlemen. And you've got to dig it out to get it. But there's some things that we find ourselves operating, which, and the scripture says, these works of the flesh are already manifest, and it lists off a whole bunch of them. And we find ourselves operating in these gifts, well, sorry, in these things, rather than operating in the gifts God has given us. So that's that's the sloth, that's the sluggard for you. It's a dangerous place to be because it is detrimental. It's dangerous for the church of God and any kingdom that seeks to rise for the glory of God. Listen to Proverbs 21 and 25. I want to read this scripture as we move on. It says, The desire of the slothful kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. So it's not good enough to have a desire. That desire has to be used and cultivated for the glory of God. Okay? We've got to be willing to do what's necessary so that God is glorified in our lives. So get up off of that bed of uh, complacency, sluggard. It's time to work for the kingdom of our Lord. He is worthy of your service. He's worthy of your dedication. So we just dealt with the sloth or the sluggard, as we may be familiar with it as. The next one we're going to look at is gluttony. So what is gluttony? As described in Proverbs 6, a false witness that speaks lies. That's right, gluttony, a false witness that speaks lies. Now, before we really get into these definitions, let's look at 
Proverbs 23 and 21, it says, For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So if we if you look at gluttony, what we're saying is that uh, we we talking about the liar earlier and how he progresses. So the glutton is that one that's they overcome by themselves and uh, and the spirit and the spirits that basically are running their lives have them in an altered state and of course this person is not they're not a satisfied person they seem to never have enough because they have this this appetite that can be appeased and that spirit, that 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 spirit, that lying spirit, the scripture calls it a false witness. They are prepared to do anything, including lying, so that they would remain uh, well. In their case, they can re- so that they can t- continue to function. But I want you to check out what Proverbs 23 and 21 says again. It says, For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty. Now, there's a colon there. And, you know, after a colon, there's always an explanation. But first, acknowledge first, let's acknowledge first that the drunkard and the glutton are paired together. And if you notice, both of these uh, examples, the drunkard and the glutton, they're altered states. This person is not operating in accordance to what, or in accordance to how God would have them to operate. They're operating lo- at a lower level. And let's look at the, the colon it says, and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rags. In other words, and it's obvious that physical wealth is not something that disqualifies this person because I believe it's the will of God for us to be um, to be prosperous, but it's the will of God that that we not only prosper physically but that we be in health and that our souls prosper also prosperity is is an all inclusive message rather it's not just based on physical wealth and hey we all want a couple of dollars say some of us want more but the question is at what price gluttony and it's like gluttony is the amplified version of greed. How do we know this? Because it's not, notice it doesn't just say that this person is lying, like in the example with greed. Greed was amplifying the liar. But gluttony is taking on another tone where it says, this person is now a false witness now. Okay? So it's telling us that this person, their state is completely altered to the point where they are doing things uh, that are completely unlike God. So how are we cautioned? How do we how do we deal with this? Well, first Peter 5 and 8, I read it earlier. I think we have to read it again. It says, be sober and be vigilant. In other words, don't be under the uh, influence of these spirits, but be watchful 
Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. In other words, the devil knows that we have desires, we have ambitions, and if left unchecked, he can use these things against us so that our witness is tarnished. There are many people that want to... If we ask ourselves... We all, at some point, we want a couple of dollars, and I'll save the R word, we want to be rich. But the scripture says it like this, those that desire to be rich will fall into a temptation and a trap. In other words, the road to riches is not an easy road. I'm not talking about those that are born into wealth, but for those that aspire be wealthy along that road there are many temptations and traps I'm just telling you what the word of God says now is that so that you um, are not willing to take that road well that decision is on you but just understand that the road is not an easy one it's filled with temptation and traps so there are going to be things that are going to tempt you to go left when you should go right. There are going to be traps that are going to be set for you to take you down because the devil doesn't want you to receive or attain physical wealth. I believe it's a possibility. I believe it's a possibility God has put within each and every one of us because of who we are that we have the potential to become whatever we want to become with His grace assisting us. I truly believe that. I believe anybody, if they put their mind to it, they can become whatever they want to become. I don't believe that wealth is just attainable by a mere few. I believe anybody can receive it, but we've got to really understand there are many people, they'll tell you, there are some sacrifices they had to make, oh sorry, that they had to make, and those sacrifices were not godly. There are many that have sold their souls for wealth. And then on the other hand, there are many that have overcome temptations and the traps. And in the midst of that, they lost a lot, but they maintained uh, their trajectory and they were able to press through and they were able to reach the mountaintop but was it an easy road now why am I saying this I'm saying this because nothing worth having comes easy you know if you're not prepared to endure if you're not prepared to go through there are some things you might as well not venture into so one of the things that tries to detour us is gluttony. And if you have, and remember now, spirit traveling pack, like I said earlier, if you have a propensity to lie and tell a half-truths, you are breathing ground for the spirits that will eventually be attracted by the spirit. That's why we've got to keep this body under subjection. Okay? Because the higher you desire to climb, there are are spirits looking and waiting and they're plotting your demise. But we've got to stare clear of the spirit of gluttony because it's an insatiable appetite. It never has enough. And if we're saying, on the other hand, that Jesus is enough, he's all that I need, and all these songs we sing, it has to match up. We can't have this appetite of never satisfied. The only insatiable appetite I believe we should welcome is souls for the kingdom of God. Other than that, these are the carnal things that we welcome in. They are detrimental or can be detrimental to our spiritual livelihood. So take into consideration, even as I move on to the next one, Proverbs, oh sorry, 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, 
because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour okay so the next one we're going to look at is envy and what is envy according to what we've uncovered in Proverbs 6 he that sows discord among the brethren now this is the final one the seventh abomination among the seven abominations and the the scope of envy is dangerous and broad it says he that sows discord among the brethren in other words I've often used this example this revelation of the kingdom of God or the revelation of kingdoms rather and I think it's profound We've often said, and we can be quoted in saying, as the scripture says, the gates shall not, the gates of hell rather, shall not prevail against the church. That's a scripture we've quoted many times, and that's true, absolute truth. The gates of hell, I will go further and say the gates of hell shall never prevail against the church, and that's absolute truth. But here's another absolute truth. Any kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. And these are the words of our Lord, and I, I believe the, that's in my notes, but I wanted to, I, I felt that I had to get to this early, so I'm going to get, <laughs> so I got it out of the way. Because we've got to understand the thing about kingdom. And this is, and when you understand what Jesus was saying in the scripture, a kingdom divided against itself shall not stand. We understand why Satan and one third of the angels were kicked out of heaven. Because he was an opposite, number one, he was an opposition to God. He wanted to be God. And there's only one God, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're here, you're trying to be God, so you gotta go. And whoever agrees with you gotta go with you. So that is how God dealt with um, division. He cast out the divisor or the one bringing the division. Because division, a kingdom cannot survive division. So that's that's how um, serious it is. But let's go further. Proverbs chapter 14 and 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh. But envy, the rottenness of the bones. And we know how important the heart is to the flesh, a very important organ, right? But I want you to see um, how dangerous um, envy is to structure. Because the bones are your structure now. The heart is important to keep blood pumping and flowing, right? But the heart can't go nowhere if you don't have bone structure. If you don't have leg, leg bone connecting to ankle bone and all those bones connecting, you don't have structure. So you will have a working heart and a working body that's going nowhere. So it says, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Envy is so dangerous that it can damage your structure. You may have, like I said, and I think it's worth repeating, a heart that's excellent, pumping blood everywhere, no cavities and uh, no blockages, none of that sort. But if you have a bone structure that's brittle and rottening, like the scripture says here, your body is not going anywhere and the body was designed to move, to travel on this terrain this vehicle was designed to move about so it's it's debilitating when you picture it because it's God's will that we prosper and be in health even if our souls prosper so this is not a true picture of that equation that I just described so it's that's how dangerous envy is when we allow the spirit in our lives 
But listen to James 3 and 16. It says, For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So we've got to understand now, when we welcome in these spirits, they are not just there to take up space, ladies and gentlemen. They are there to bring the house down. These spirits have an agenda of destruction. And it takes to have us looking at one another or you know they will do whatever it takes to, to have us distracted and, and envy is the great distractor now it causes us to put our eyes on the wrong things you know what this let me give you a picture of envy envy causes you not to be not causing you not to admire what God is doing in your neighbor and then in turn be zealous for God to do the same in you but what envy causes you to do is be jealous of what God is doing in your neighbor and desire for that for your neighbor to be you now that's that's serious now that's a that's a war that's a mutated that's a spirit that, you know, is definitely out or bent on destruction. So the question is, when we understand it, how do we resist these seven deadly spirits? I believe the key to resisting them is found in Galatians 5 and 22. Excuse me, and what does that say? Well, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affection, sorry, with the passions, my translation says affections, have crucified the flesh with the passions and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So, even in this instant, you see the Apostle Paul to the Galatians admonishing them to, hey, walk or to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just good enough for you to have the Holy Ghost, but we need to see the fruit thereof on display manifest in your lives and when you do that you you get the opportunity or you resist the spirits that are working against you like envy and the chief of all of this that he's asking them as in I believe it's 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 the excellent way the excellent way is love love is the excellent way Thank God for gifts and all of these things that he has afforded us. But love covered a multitude of sin. We've got to recognize these spirits for who they are and what they are. They are kingdom destroyers. They are destiny delayers. They are assassinators of character. And if we welcome them into our lives, if we make them at home within us, There is no way that God is going to share space or give space to these spirits. So we've got to choose who we're going to serve. If it's God, we've got to serve him. But we can't serve God and mammon. So I want to encourage us. You know, it 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 is important as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we resist all of the wiles of the enemy. Because God wants unity. He wants oneness. He wants synergy. He wants a people working together so that his kingdom will truly come on earth as it is in heaven. But it's going to take you. It's going to take me. It's going to take us. It's going to take us working together for the betterment for the betterment and for the benefit of others. 
for the honor and glory of God. Thank you so much for listening today and I pray that this message was a blessing to you. So, you go out there now and be blessed. Blessings on you. Greetings, you've been listening to The Soul Place and it was such an honor to have you stop by. Well, until next time, blessings on you.